I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Intellectual society. We live in a very um, electronic society. We live like no other generation of people have lived. We are able to do all kinds of things. We are able to create all kinds of things. Uh, my wife, my daughter, excuse me, was telling me the, this week about the new ride that uh, uh, what, not the, the, the amusement park has that they're going to be building this next year, a holiday world. And this, this ride is going to um, run on magnetic resistance and, 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 and all the, the wisdom and all the electronics that go with that. We, we live in quite a society today that is able to take and out of thin air what, what once was science fiction and, and all the, the, the dreams and all the thoughts that science fiction writers put into the turn of the century books like, uh, 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 you know, uh, Lost in Space, all that. The one thing that they have not really been able to create is peace. You see, the world cannot give peace like my Savior. They try. They, they, they try to, 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 to bring about their ideas of what real peace is. They try to um, medicate peace. They try to use psychology to bring peace of heart, peace of mind. But you see, they, they just can't do what G, my Jesus can do. And this morning, if you get nothing else this morning, if, if, if everything I say from this point on is just babble and just uh, stuff, just words, if you get nothing else, know that today, that if you're needing peace, today you can get your peace. If you're, if you're struggling today, if you're struggling in your heart, if you're struggling in your soul, if you're struggling in your mind, today you can lay it down and receive peace. You don't have to carry your struggle. You don't have to carry your conflict. You don't have to carry your burden. This morning you can come down here or you can stand in your pew or you can sit in your pew and you can ask God to help you with your problem. And He will meet that need. Because that's the promise of the Word of God. The peace that I give. No world can give. No, no society can create. No, no, no company can, can manufacture. The peace of the Lord. That is, a, that is a peace that goes beyond all that we can ever think or say. We live in a very troubled time. We live in a time when so much stuff is thrown at us, both in the world, in our economics, in our world of politics, in our world that we, we just have right here. 
And, and there's so many things fought, that, 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 are, that are thrown at us as, as individuals, as families, as a church. And what we fail to do is to give God a chance. We fail to let the Lord minister to us, and we end up carrying things that we don't have to carry. I can, I can, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure who I'm talking to this morning, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell somebody here this morning that you need to lay it down. You need to lay it down and let God carry it for you. I started, actually all week long, I've been trying to find my way in this lesson. And, and, it, and it was a, a difficult time for me. And then I was sitting in my office yesterday morning and just asking God. And God started putting this message together. Um, we, have, we have been enjoying the process of teaching lessons on marriage this last couple of weeks. And, and today we're turning a corner. Today we, we've talked about marriage, what is marriage. We've talked about communication in marriage. We've talked about what makes a good marriage. Uh, but today we're going to turn a corner. And um, this morning I want to talk to you about help for broken homes. Man, you talk about broken homes. It seems like every second or third person you know has a broken home, or what we call a broken home. And uh, there is help for those. For some, it's, it's just the... Uh, uh, needing a little bit of extra money to, 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 to take care of a need that is there. For some, it's more than that. It's, they're, they're needing the intervention of, of the church or they're needing an intervention from outside sources, whatever they may be, and to help bring things in line. But we have lost so much in our society about what a home is. Uh, from the very beginning of time, one of the, 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 the two basic foundations that God set in, in, in the Bible was first marriage and then second, the, the home. And uh, in Genesis 2 and 24, it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That's a home. They shall be one flesh. They shall have one desire. They shall have one commitment. It's towards their husband. It's towards their spouse. God established the home because out of the home, all other things come. And so if the devil can destroy our homes, he can destroy so much more in our society. When there's turmoil in our homes, then there can be no peace uh, or, or sanctuary to, to go to to find peace. You go to Proverbs and you find all kinds of things in Proverbs that talk about uh, a, a contentious woman, an angry man. And when those things are in the home, there's, there's no sanctuary, there's no, there's no respite from, from, from the turmoil of a home. And before I get too much further, I'm going to read my, my text. In Genesis 21, 9 through 21, if you'll stand in respect of the Word of God, 
starting with verse 9. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, she was, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. She's talking about Ishmael. Wherefore said she unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be an heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And, Abraham, and God said to Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba, and the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. She went and sat down over her shoulder. She went and she sat down over against him a good way off, and as it were a bowshot, for she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lifted up her voice and wept. God said to the voice, or the God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven. And said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thy hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God, said, God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And God said, and, excuse me, and God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. You may be seated. God, I just ask your blessings upon this morning and upon me, and I ask that you would do a work here this morning, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Today in our lesson... <coughs> We're going to talk about what happens when our past life crosses into our present redemption. Let me ask you a few questions. When it, when it comes to your home life, when it comes to your married life, when it comes to your life in general, because you grew up, because, but as you grew up, and it probably happened in your teenage years, and you were looking around, what did you decide you wanted out of life? Did you, as I look at some of these older uh, families in here and some of these older folks, as you were a teenager and you were heading into adulthood, you said, I want something out of life. Have you reached it? Did you ever look at your parents and say, I'm not going to do it their way. I'm not going to raise my child this way. I'm not going to raise my son that way. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to have a family like this. When you were thinking about having a family, what kind of family did you imagine you were going to have? And do you really know, do you really know what a healthy family looks like? You know, if I can tell you that even at the best of circumstances, rarely... Rarely will we ever meet 
what we call a perfect family. For every family has its flaws. Every, every, every family has its problems. We sometimes don't see those problems. We, we sometimes don't see those issues that lie before, below the surface of a family. And um, we, 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 we think that as we look outside in that, oh man, I wish that I had a family like Brother Fox. I wish I had a family like Brother Hill or, or, or Brother Krause. Or, or whoever, whoever you think has, a, has the perfect family. You know, we just, we, we really don't really know. We, we just, we, we look at other people around us and we don't under, understand or we don't comprehend what a, what a perfect family is. And so sometimes we, we, we come into a, we, we look at it as a, as a person outside looking in and we think, I can never reach that goal. I can never be just like that. But you know, even families continue to suffer the effects that when they come out of the world, the, the, the problems that a family has will come into the church. When, when a family is outside and they're, 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 they're coming into the church, they're carrying a whole lot of baggage with them. They're carrying a whole lot of problems. And even after they get into church and been in church for a while, they still, they still hide issues. They still hide things from, our, from the side of everybody else, and, and, and God slowly deals with them on that. You see, sometimes there's anger between parents. There's distrust. Sometimes there's broken trust in a family. Sometimes there's poor financial understanding. Sometimes there's lack of values and poor child-rearing skills. And, and that list can go on and on and on, and... and it all comes into the church and somehow through a period of time and effort and the Word of God, God somehow is able to smooth out some of those rough edges that we face. But sometimes it's a daunting task. You see, these things that happen outside, when we say to ourselves, the world is against me, nobody understands how I feel, we end up blaming everybody else for the bad choices that we make and what the real problem is is that we just don't take time to think through the things that we're about to do and, and we make bad decisions. We say that when, when we come into a Christian walk, before we can begin to, to really display the, 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 the true attributes of a Christian, we've got to deal with the problems that, that we have in our homes and we've got to deal with the problems that we have in our hearts and we've got to settle the issues. You see, the, 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 the church, the church is, is, is not a, a place of panacea. It's, it's, it's not a place where, where there's just, everybody is just euphoric. Everybody is just wonderful. Everybody is just all smiley. Because in every heart, there's, there's problems of sin. There's problems of anger. There's problems of guilt. There's problems of shame. And all that comes into the house of God. And, the, and, and the, the, the preacher tries to, 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 to use the, the Word of God to try to deal with certain issues. And sometimes God, God speaks to a heart, even though the minister is not ministering in that area. It's a wonderful thing that, that, that a, a, a man or a woman can come into the, the house of God with all that baggage. It's a wonderful thing that when a, when, a, when a man or a woman comes into the house of God and, 
He's got guilt on his heart. He's got shame on his heart. He's got sin in his soul. He's got pain in his body. He's got addictions that he has to deal with. He's got, he's got problems outside of people trying to, to do something in his life where, where it's not constructive. He's got all these things that he comes into the house of God and he doesn't know where to turn. He doesn't know what to do. And he comes into the house of God and he comes into an altar or comes to an altar and he puts it under the blood. But we can't expect that just because he puts it under the blood and God forgives him of all those sins that all those problems are going to go away. Because sometimes the things that we've done out in the world, they, they come back and haunt us. They come back and get us. You see, just because it's under the blood, there's still some cause and effects to your life from what you were before you came to Christ. The family suffers by so many dynamic problems. Children don't mind parents. Parents fight with one another. Parents yell at one another. Parents say mean words to one another. Parents ignore one another. Parents ignore children. Parents slap children, abuse them. I'm not talking about discipline, but I'm talking about actual abuse. Where a man sometimes will lose control of his anger and he lashes out and he just beats upon that child because it relieves some kind of insecurity or some kind of pain within the, the, other, the other individual, the other adult. They say that when a child is abused, later on when he grows up, he will become an abuser. But I want you to know something. When you come into the church, you can get help for your problem. You don't have to carry the problem that you have all by yourself. You see, when you come into the church, God didn't call to condemn you. God didn't call you to, 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 to lay more guilt upon you. In John 3, 7, it says, for God, so love, or for God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but the, that the world through him might be saved. God call, calls us out of that condemnation. Romans 8, 1 says, there is, therefore no, not, there, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Right, right. I am set free when I put it under the blood. And, and sometimes that stuff comes into the church and the church has to deal with it. Can you, can you imagine what it was like to be Sarah? Can you imagine what it's like for Sarah? She was, she was a beautiful woman. Several kings desired her. Several kings took her. And, and, and they, they, they were going to make her a wife. She had it all. She was beautiful. She had everything a woman could want. Her husband was rich. Her husband was well respected. Wherever he went, and in some cases he was even feared by kings and priests, he was a wealthy man. He had gold. He had silver. He had jewels. He had cattle. He had sheep. He had servants to do his bidding. 
He had servants to guard his tents. He had it all. But most of all, what he had? He had a relationship with God. But if you look out of the scriptures that we read this morning, he had one more thing. He had a dysfunctional home. You see, the picture that Sarah had for Abraham was missing one thing. It was missing an heir. And she had been promised, Abraham had been promised, that he was going to receive an heir. He he was going to receive a child that um, would take on the name and, and be able to grow into a great country and a great nation. That he was going to be as big as the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. And yet, as time went on, there was no child. And uh, back in those days, a barren woman who, who didn't have children, she, uh, she was a source of embarrassment and a, and a reproach to others. We see this in Scripture that if you were to go backwards in what was being told, uh, Sarah, when, when, when Hagar conceived, she, Sarah, uh, Hagar started mocking Sarah and causing all kinds of grief. You see, we see the same story played out in the children of of uh, Hananiah, the mother of Samuel, the prophet. Hananiah and Paniah, they, they, Hananiah couldn't, couldn't bear children, and, and, and the other wife was just giving her grief. And, and, and it, the, the, the promise of a child came from the God that he was going to provide her a child, and God helped her to conceive. But, but the point is, is that sometimes when a woman is not able to conceive, There's some bitterness that starts to grow in the heart. There are so many women who have to deal with the emotional scars of being childless. If you open up your paper, even today, you look at the, uh, you go to the the, uh, classified ads, there's there's a little section in the classified ads. It's called adoptions. And there are people in those ads that are, are, are reaching out to somebody to say, Can I have your child? There's, there's people who are looking, however they can do it, to find a baby to love because they don't have that child. But you see, when those, those, those things are gone, there's an anger that starts to build and a bitterness in the heart. And, 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 and they don't start out that way, but after a while it, help, it happens. In fact, the Scripture talks about that. Scriptures in Proverbs thirteen twelve it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. You see, we borrow our troubles from tomorrow's, and we bring them into our todays. Albert Einstein said, I never think of the future. It comes soon enough. When we try to go it alone and devise our own plans, sometimes the results will produce unintended consequences. Sometimes we'll get in a hurry and we'll buy things and they end up being junk. I, I can tell you, I can't, well, I, I bought a number of tools, a number of hand tools I, when I work, for when I work on my cars and other things. And, and sometimes I'll buy a cheaper priced tool and, and it, it's only good for one or two times and then it breaks. Sometimes we'll marry the wrong man or we'll marry the wrong woman because we get into a hurry. Sometimes we'll take a job that 
doesn't really take care of our needs. And you see, as the child, as the days passed on and there was no child, Sarah decided to, to, to come up with her own plan. And what was followed was a story of petty jealousies and female rivalry and just time after time of bad choices. We can identify very easily with Sarah when we try to think that if I just do this, God will bless it. If I just follow this plan, God will make it happen. Because God is with me and God is going to bless me. But sometimes our choices will lead us down the paths where we don't want to go. I'm talking about dysfunctional families this morning. When, Abraham, when, when Sarah gave Abraham her, this, this child, when, when Abraham created this child, Ishmael, several things took place that changed the landscape of history forever. For one... Abraham created a new bloodline. Ishmael grew to be a, a man, a hunter, but he also grew to be a great nation, the Arabs. And forever it became a source of contention and trouble for the children of Israel. Another thing that happened because she circumvented God's plan was that it never really got rid of the ache in Sarah's heart. She was still barren, she was still hurting. And a surrogate, somebody who takes the place, never really fills the need. Another thing that happened was Abraham never really embraced Ishmael as a son. The scriptures show that though Abraham was around the child, Abraham, the scripture never really shows any interaction with Ishmael. And because he, they decided to have this child... It brought strife and contention within his home. Can you imagine Abraham spent more time with his sheep and goats than he wanted to spend in his house because there was these two women fighting? You know, the Scripture talks about how bad one woman is, but imagine two women battling back and forth, showing their their anger towards one another. And And I'm not just picking on women, but this is what the Scripture's showing. It was, it, was, it was a time of contention because they stepped out of the plan of God. Whenever you step out of God's will, God can't bless it. And sometimes the things that you want most become like vapor. They, they seem like they're just within your reach, but then they go away. Riches are like that. What Scripture reveals that the cost of stepping outside of God's plan produces mostly heartache. But I want you to know the things that God gives, even in our mistakes, is that God gives us help. Even though God didn't tell Abraham to take Sarah, or take a Hagar to wife, that God was going to produce a, a nation out of Sarah. You see, God still had a plan for Abraham and for Sarah, and even though they stepped out of that plan, God didn't give up on them. The point is that no matter what mistakes we make in our life, if we put it under the blood, God still has a destiny for you. God still has a destiny for me. When we put it under the the blood and we ask God's forgiveness, God can still change and use our lives for something that is good. God's not done with us. Sometimes as parents, when our our children are, 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 for lack of a better word, bad, or or, or when they do something we don't like, sometimes as a parent, we may not, Speak to that child for a while. 
Or sometimes we'll just, you know, and sometimes they got it coming. But in our humanity, in our humanity, we make a lot of mistakes. But just because we make those mistakes, God's not willing to cast us aside. The help that we have is not in our abilities. It's in God's grace and God's love. You see, we live in a world that has become so, so commonplace. Sin has become so commonplace and so excessive that the morals of our society, they're just... They're in a downward spiral. I was reading this week again in the paper that another uh, ban on gay marriage has been struck down. You see, we live in a world, in the world, there are over 42 million abortions performed every year. 13% of those terminating their abortions are said to be born, born again believers, Christian killing babies. The higher levels of learning that we call college campuses, they're notorious for their wild parties on Fridays and Saturday nights. In the U.S., there are about 10.8 million underage drinkers. And 1.6 million of those are women who are alcoholics. Eight out of ten sexual predators of children, their family members or of people who they know, And as staggering as all that is, can you imagine coming into an apostolic church and feeling the love of God for the first time? We are so comfortable in the presence of the Lord. We are so comfortable in our places, in our pews, that sometimes we forget what it's like when somebody comes into the church who is so racked with guilt and sin They're racked with pain from their things that are going on in their lives. Their lives are in turmoil. We forget, or we have forgotten what it's like to carry the pain of those hurts. When when there, there, there was no answer. And an apostolic church is one of the last stops before something happens. An apostolic church is such a foreign place to so many people that, that they, they think that all they, all they come in and all they feel is condemnation. When a man or a woman comes into our church and they, they want to find out if the Spirit of God hears, should they be feeling condemnation or should they be feeling love? What a staggering idea it is that even in a, in a church, a church where God is supposed to abide, that people may look down upon a, on a, on a soul or upon a sinner and and judge. Such were some of us. But God has been so kind to us. I can't speak for others, but I know that in my life, if I hadn't been welcomed by some people in the church, I might not have been here today. We need people who are willing to step out of their comfort zones to these who are coming into our churches. The world has battered them. The world has pushed them aside. The world has beaten up on them. The world has taken things from them. The world is saying this is the way it should be or this is the way you should live. And they don't know what the, the, the true idea of what, what, what a, a, a forgiven heart is like. They, they don't know what, a, what a, 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 forgive, a forgiven soul it feels like. 
It is our duty as a body of believers to extend that love to others so that they will come to the church and they'll want to come back. It's staggering to think that the pleasures of this world that we call creation is creating a generation of people who only know wounded, wounded souls and lost moral bearings, bearings. They're leaving, they're carrying such burdens in their lives that sometimes that if they were to walk out a church door, they may walk out into something that will take their life or they themselves may take their life. I can tell you that many who have not received forgiveness go on to make uh, go on to do destructive things or continue to do destructive things and they lose all hope. We should not be afraid to reach out to those who are who are struggling, those who are hurting in our church pews. We should not be afraid to tell them that there are answers out there. What a miracle it is to have a sin-sick soul come into the church and walk away a changed individual. What a, what a miracle it is to, to have somebody who has never known what, what it feels like to, 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 to be accepted, to feel like, that feels like to be loved, to come into a church and to, to, to be accepted and to be loved. You see, when a man or a woman comes down on an altar and asks forgiveness of their sins, they repent of their sins, and they're filled with the Holy Ghost, they receive the power to heal. Romans 15, 13 says, Now God, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may be bound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. When a man or a woman is sin soaked, God brings hope into their lives. Hey, there's another way. God brings joy. When was the last time that the world really had a good laugh. The world had really had a good, joyous laugh and not have to worry about they, they were making fun of other people. You see, when you come into an altar and you lay your sins down, the wounds begin to heal. The bruises begin to go away. And the sores that this world has caused begin to close because they're washed by the blood of Jesus. But even though those sins are forgiven, our past sometimes has consequences. So you see, the alcoholic still has to deal with the, uh, the years of alcohol abuse. The drug, addict, or the drug addict may still have to go with, through withdrawals from his narcotics. And those who have stolen may have to return that which was stolen. And some may still have to ask for, for the forgiveness of the things that they have done wrong. The, the things that we've done in our past can be very devastating to our families. Just like Hagar, who was one day in a tent that had everything. He, she lived in a community that had food and water and shelter and protection. The next day she's out. She's out of, a, 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 of her comfort zone. She's thrown out. She becomes homeless. She has very little food. She's cast out on her own and she doesn't know where to turn. Her life turn, is turned upside down and is turned into a mess. But the first thing that we as a church and what the first thing that a, as, as new Christians must understand that we're not walking alone. What the Scripture teaches us this morning is that we're not going it alone. That no matter what kind of trouble we are in, no matter what kind of situation we're in, God is still with us. 
We don't have to walk by ourselves. We don't have to walk by our own creations. But that God is willing to meet our needs as we'll just trust Him. What does the song say? I, was th- I, I had to go to Brother, Brother Hill for this because I couldn't remember all the words. But the song goes like this. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as the labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we've exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we've reached the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Because you see, His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundaries known unto men. For out of the, rif- uh, out of the infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. That's the God that I serve. Just when you're at the end of your resources... He gives you some more. When you're at the end of your strength, He gives you some more. When you're at the end of your rope, He gives you the strength to hold on. When you've made a mistake, He shows grace. When you feel unloved, He shows that love. Oh, we serve a loving Father. The things that we fail to understand is that God is still reaching for us. Just, just like, like Hagar was, was in, at the moment of her, her destruction and the child was, was, was under, under a bush and ready to die and her food supply was gone and her, and her water supply was gone. God called out to her, Hagar, what aileth he, Hagar? For fear not God, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. What ails you, Bob? What ails you, Tony? What ails you, Paul? What ails you, David? What ails you, Adam? That wasn't just a call to Hagar. It's a call to each of us. What's bothering you? What's your need? Where are you at? I hear your cry. I hear your heart's cry. What ails you? That's not a God that's distant. That's a God that's close. He's close. And He hears your heart's cry. And all we have to do is bring it to Him. We may not know what to think. That we may think that God can't see where you're at. We may not think that God can see your need. But you know, half the time we don't give God the chance. Half the time we'll carry that burden with us and we won't put it at an altar. Half the time we carry our problems and, and we won't go to God in prayer. We'll, we'll sometimes ask the man of God to pray. We'll ask the preacher to pray, but we won't do it ourselves. We don't give God a chance to work. We're so instantaneous in our microwave ovens and our, and, 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 and our, and our cell phones. And all. We're so, such an instantaneous generation, we expect God to do the same thing. We don't give Him a chance. But the problem is, is He's right here. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, God's inside of you. And sometimes we act like He's just an extra person or or, 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 or he's just somebody that's along for the ride 
but we don't reach out to Him. We don't give Him the chance to, 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 to work. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, For we are not... For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we. We were yet without sin. Yet tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. All we have to do is bring it to the Lord. And He gives grace and He gives mercy and He reaches out to us. Our help is not in our flesh. Our help is not in our reasoning. Our our help is not in our wallets. It's in the One who gives it all. If you've got a a, a family that's in crisis, if you've got a problem in your home, the, the, the last stop should not be an altar. It should be the first stop. We don't walk this road alone, but we can call on a Savior in the hour of our need. Psalms 34, 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. When was the last time you cried out to the Lord? God knows where you're at. And just like Sarah, she lay there in her moments of desperation, What she did not realize was that miracle was just beyond her sight. What she did not see was that answer to prayer was just beyond the corner. It was just beyond where she could see. And when God said, open up your eyes, she looked and there was her her answer to prayer. There was her need being met. That well appeared. And, And she was able to give her son some drink. You see, you don't know. You don't know when your miracle is just around the corner. You don't know when your prayer is about to be answered and you try to answer it yourself. You don't know when God is ready to, to give you that, 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 that miracle that you're needing. You can't see it. But that's why we walk by faith and not by sight. We must refrain from trying to work things out for ourselves, but we must put them before God and give Him the chance to answer the prayers of our heart. We expect to have answers to our prayers, but we don't expect to receive the miracle that God has given us. But God is not slack concerning His promises towards us. He said He would never leave us nor forsake us. We've got to give and seek the Lord, or give the Lord a chance and, and seek Him. Because He will supply our needs. In John 7, 37 and 38, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture says, out of his belly shall flow living rivers of living water. The answer is not in you, and it's not in me. It's in the Spirit of God. But we've got to believe that Jesus has the answers. And when we walk in that belief, it's not in walking in, 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 in the jingle in our pocket. It's not walking in the faith of Brother, uh, Brother Adam Hill. It's not walking in that faith. It's walking by faith that God is going to meet that need. You don't know if your miracle's around the corner because we don't give God the chance. If God is going to supply our need, don't we have to give Him the opportunity? If I'm going to be a friend to Brother Bob, 
He's got to give me the chance to show him that I want to be his friend. He's got to give me the chance to be able to talk to him and, and get to know him. I'm just using you today because I'm here up front, but it's like that in the whole church. We've got we to gotta go beyond. As we thirst for the supply that Jesus has, we've got to give him the chance to speak to our heart. James says, sometimes, let me back up just a little bit. The things that we want are not always wants, but they're, they're, they're not always needs, but they're wants. James 4.3 says, We ask and receive not because we ask amiss that we can consume it upon our lust. You know what the, uh, you know what the definition of a, a dysfunctional family is? We hear the term thrown about. It's bannered about. And we hear it a lot in our news. And So, you know, I, uh, I had my own ideas about what dysfunctional, a dysfunctional family is. So instead of just coming up with my own idea, I went to Wikipedia. Now, Wikipedia gives this definition of a dysfunctional family. A dysfunctional family is a family in which conflict, misbehavior, and often child neglect or an abuse on the part of an individual parent occurs continually and regularly leading other members to accommodate such actions. What he's saying here is that conflict or dysfunctional family is when the family doesn't work and there's constantly arguing and fighting going on, fighting between kids, fighting between parents, fighting between parents and kids. There's a constant misbehavior among the family members. And often when it involves neglect or abuse, those sometimes within the family would help encourage or cause the abuse to continue. They'll turn a blind eye to it. You see, the scriptures are complete with examples of, of dysfunctional families. You see, Abraham was a blended family. Abraham, or Hagar became a single parent. Rebecca and Isaac took the sides of their favorite children. King David failed to dis- discipline his children, and one even tried to steal his throne, and it can go on and on and on. We can talk about Samuel who didn't discipline his own children and, and, and they didn't have a walk with God and they left the church. We can talk about so many different people, so many different families in the Bible that they all fit within the context of what we would call a dysfunctional family. So let me bring this lesson full circle. Let me ask you again this question. Do we really know what a healthy family should look like? Maybe the idea of what a successful family is is so convoluted in your heart and in my heart that maybe we think what a successful family is is the Brady Bunch. Maybe we think what a successful family is is the Partridge family. For all those who are a little bit older. Maybe, maybe we think what a successful family is is Archie Bunker and all in the family. We don't, we don't really understand. I was thinking about this as I was putting this lesson together. I was thinking, where do we get our ideas of where a, a successful family comes from? And, and so I did some research, and, and I came up with this. 
In May of 1990, the Department of Health and Human Services came out with a study on what is a successful family. And based upon the various assumptions about what a strong family does, researchers have developed a list of structural and behavioral attributes that characterize uh, what a successful family is. And though there are variances in the, in, in the difference in disciplines and perspectives, they've come together with a consensus about what a, the basic dimensions of a strong, healthy family looks like. So this is what they say a successful family is. And some of this is very interesting. According to the Health and Human Services, a successful family con contains the presence of effective communication. Its pattern is one of, that is most frequently mentioned among strong families. We talked about that last week in, in marriage. One of the best ways to have a successful marriage is to communicate. If we're going to have a successful family, we've got to talk to one another, not yell at one another, not shout at one another, not, not cause trouble for one another. But when we have problems, if, if we're going to have a successful family, we've we got to learn how to talk to one another. We're so busy talking on our telephones. We're so busy talking about uh, tapping on our electronics. Sometimes we fail to talk about the talk to the person just across the room. Another attribute of success of a successful family is the encouragement of individual members that encompass a range of effective dimensions related to mutual support, recognition, and respect. Now, this commitment goes in two directions. Each family member is valued. Each is supported and sustained. At the same time, they are committed to, a, to the family as a family unit, a sense of being on a team. In other words, an effective family is that you as an individual hold importance. You as an individual have values. You as an individual are important with all your strengths and all your abilities and, and we, we are to encourage those things to continue to grow. But at the same time, we must not forget that you are not just an individual, but that you are part of a whole that we call a family. We are part of a, a, a unit that we call a family. We sometimes forget that it's not all for one and one for all, but we are all in it together. Another thing that the health and human services recommended was a religious or a spiritual orientation it is identified by many researchers as an important component of strong families all studies have found some aspect of religious religiousity or spirituality as a component of strong families you see even the government recognizes that you need church if you're going to have a good family you're going to need church if you're going to have a good good moral base you're going to need church. If you're going to have a good relationship with God, you're going to need church. If you're going to have good friends, you need church. If you're going to have a good relationship with the pastor, you need a church. If you're going to have a good relationship with God, you need a church. No matter what else happens in your life, you need a good church. Have I said it enough? We need church. We need spiritual guidance. We need spiritual leading. We need spiritual help in many different areas of life. And and the church is the place to get that. It's not the evening world. We're not going to open up the middle pages of the evening world and find the help that we need. We're not going to lift, lift up the, the classified ads in the Herald Times and find, oh yeah, 
help for troubled families. No. Where are you going to find help for troubled families? Is right in the Word of God and in the church. Another character quality of a strong family is a family's ability to adapt to stressful and potentially damaging events, as well as predictable life cycle changes, also as identified as an important characteristic. They know how to deal with trouble in their family. They don't take it outside the family. They don't take it someplace and brag about it, but they deal with it as it comes. They don't just collapse. A successful family doesn't just collapse because they're in trouble. They work it out. A successful family is not isolated. That's a big one in our society today. We don't stay isolated within our four walls. It's not us four no more. A successful family is connected to a wider society. One effect of social connectedness is the availability of external resources as identified by researchers as an important and effective way of coping with troubles. Another time, in other words, sometimes it's better that, that we reach outside of ourselves and, and, and look for the places where we can receive the help. Sometimes, sometimes it's just having a friend that you can talk to. Whether it's Jesus or the guy beside you in the pew. A successful family does not stay isolated. Many researchers identified that there must be clear role definitions. As, a, as an important characteristic of family functioning or, and as an essential for families' abilities to adapt to changing situations. We've got to understand where our roles lie in the, fi- in the family. Some people are better bookkeepers. Some people are better at fixing things. Some people are better at fixing meals. Some people are better at keeping house. Uh, we must understand where those roles lie. I, I recognize in, in, in my own life very early, that I'm not a very good bookkeeper. But my wife, she's she right down to the penny. If it doesn't match in the checkbook, she's checking pennies. Me, I just write it off. It's a penny. I don't care. But I, 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 I advocated the role that she can be my bookkeeper because she's better at it. That's her strength. And in each one of you, you have a strength that you do well in the family with. And you can use that thing to help your family grow. It's when the, when the husband says, well, this is my role and this is the way it's going to be. Or, or the wife says, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm good at. And she, she has no talent. Some, some women can't sew. Some women can't cook. Some men can't cook. You know, but each of us has a place where we belong. And within the family, if we bring all those structures together, if we bring all those strengths together, we can do well in building that family structure so that it's a successful family. Another thing that tells of what a successful family is is that a family spends time together. Now, how about that one? Sometimes we have to put, a, put aside the baseball practices Sometimes we have to put aside the friends going here and going there. Sometimes we have to put aside our own busy schedules and spend time with a family. Even our own pastor has a time that he sets aside for Mondays for, that, are, that is for the family. And uh, if we're going to have a successful family, 
We've got to work together as a unit. If we're going to have a successful church family, a successful church body, we as a church body cannot stay isolated. We need to talk to one another and encourage one another and lift up one another. And as we grow in our abilities to help one another, as we grow in our abilities to strengthen one another and encourage one another, as new people come in, we can assimilate them into our body, into our family, and help them to grow. We each carry a strength with us. We each carry a talent. And as a whole, we become a church family. We may have our arguments, but in the middle of those crises, we need to work them out, not harbor them, not, not hold them in. Yes, church families do spot, spat once in a while, but when we do, we have to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Let's stand. In the weeks ahead, the lessons turns toward, to the, towards the roles of parenting and what makes a good parent and how that parents work within the home and how to deal with conflicts. But you see, when we come to Christ, we become new creatures. And we're not called to walk the same path that the world is walking. We're not called to carry the same burdens, the same ideologies, the same concepts that the world carries. But we are called to walk a different path than what the world is, is, is walking. A path that leads to heaven. And as a family, we want to get there together. So let's not wound one another. Let's not hurt one another. And if we are wounded, let's forgive. Just as Christ forgave us, let's forgive. Because I would rather make heaven my home than to be around when the next wave of God's judgment judgments come let's bow our heads heavenly father i am so grateful that lord in the midst of our struggles in the midst of our trials in the midst of where our our time and our our troubles are lord you're right there you're ready to answer the heart's cry you're ready to meet the need help us god not to rely upon our own wisdoms and our own thoughts but help us lord to lay our hearts in your hands and lay our needs on your heart. And let us reach for you, God. For you are the one that gives all the, the needs and supplies all our needs according to your riches and glory. I would just ask your blessings upon each one today as we go forth. Let, let your spirit guide us today. And let your spirit speak to each heart that is here today of what has been taught. And we just ask that you administer to this family of believers. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.